the Crimson Tide Podcast here on SECCountry.com. I'm your host, Ryan Fowler. I've enjoyed talking Alabama Crimson Tide football with you. We talk about approaching almost, almost, we're not going to get there, but almost 500 episodes of Alabama Crimson Tide football topics. Hey, remember to connect with me on the Twitter account at Ryan C. Fowler. At Ryan C. Fowler. I've enjoyed talking with the best fans of the country. I do a daily show in Tuscaloosa, four hours a day, five days a week. We talk Alabama Crimson Tide football. What else would you talk about? I mean, think about it. If you go to South Bend, Indiana, what do you think they're talking about? Notre Dame football. If you go to Columbus, Ohio, what do you think they're talking about? Ohio State football. If you go to Tuscaloosa, Alabama, you got to expect we're going to be talking Alabama Crimson Tide football, and we do that daily. Let's go to a guy that was an All-American at the University of Alabama. He's also a great college football analyst for SECCountry.com. Mike Johnson, I hope you're doing well. Welcome in to the Alabama Crimson Tide podcast here on seccountry.com. Hey man, it's good to uh good to catch up with you guys again, man. Yeah, I uh, I appreciate the high energy comment, man. I always have it. I always try to have the energy cuz I'm so excited about uh, Bama football and what's going on these days. Hey, we're we're getting down to the 70s. And I mean, I feel like for some reason this has been a long off season. I, I don't know why, I mean, it's a national championship, but it's you know, it's all about the expectations. You know, we had Phil Steele on a couple of days ago and you know what he said? He said Alabama's a double-digit favorite against every team on their schedule. And even the possibility of meeting in, in Atlanta, he said, I still would have them as a big favorite over George. He said, this team is going to be unbelievable. The hype is real in T-Town, my friend. Yeah, and I think that's what's made the offseason so long, right? You, you, we get so locked in on Tua and Jalen. And it's it's almost like, you know, to me, Ryan, and, and you're in this business too, you know, the sports media business where every day we're, we're coming up with talking points, right? What are you going to talk about? Well, there's not there's not a climb back to the top. I talked to my buddy Brandon Adams, who you know very well, who does Dog Nation Daily for Georgia. He, he's almost like, you know, I don't know what I'd do if I was an Alabama guy covering Alabama on a daily basis. What do you complain about? Like, what's your gripe about? What are you trying to cross off the list? Are you trying to say, boy, can't wait till Bama gets back to national championship contention? Or, you know, Bama's got to really create, you know, roster management, or they've got to get talent in there recruiting. It's not like a griping point. And to me, that's what makes the offseason so long because you're so excited to see Nick Saban against Bobby Petrino in Orlando or to really see who wins the quarterback competition or to see Tua because you know the outcome is going to be good. It's not you know good or bad. It's elite versus great. And, um, you know, that's made the offseason extremely long for me. And, uh, you know me, I've gone into, you know, breaking down offensive lines and breaking down defensive lines and, um, chipping away at the days. You're right, man. We're we're in the 70s right now, and somebody sent me a picture of me the other day, and it said 78 days until uh, Alabama kicks off. So I got fired up about that, and uh, I'm pretty juiced about the season coming up. Mike, let me ask you, and I want you to put your player's hat on, but also as a media analyst. I am so excited to see finally the bureaucrats in college football give something back to the student athlete with this red shirt rule. I just think when I when I think about it, I don't even know if we're given enough credit, but you get four free games, not free games, but developmental games that you can use to improve your playing days. What do you think about the redshirt rule? Give me a, give me a, give me a player analogy first, then we'll go to the media perspective if it's any different. Well, I, you know, I can go ahead and tell you from a player's perspective, I, I'm, I'm iffy about it, to be honest with you. I, I'm not quite as, uh, it was, you know, I think the incident of Blade did the right thing. 
I, I, I think what makes me nervous from a player's perspective is looking at some of the coaches and wondering what coaches you know, take advantage of this, maybe? I, that's, that's, my, that's my concern. In, you know, what what way? Coaches, In what way? How? Well, I, I think that when you look at players that are French players, you know, Bama's done such a good job, and I don't think that Saban will go down this road of saying, hey, listen, when we get our freshmen in, our top-level guys, our Dylan Moses, that guy's going to be on special teams. Ruben Foster, before you're starting at middle linebacker, you're going to go down the field, you're going to hit somebody on special teams. How many coaches, let's just say a Will Muschamp at, at, you know, at, uh, at SC over there, how many coaches look at it and say, well, you know what, he's not there to be a starter just yet, so maybe I can squeeze a few games out of him you know, and just play in meaningful situations, and then I can get an extra year out of the guy. Now, I think in a lot of situations, that tends to circle back around and bite you in the butt. I think a lot of those guys, you know, if they're that good, they tend to maybe possibly leave early for the NFL, but I, I'm – I'm cautious. I am cautious from a player's perspective of saying, hey, listen, I want to make sure this is done the right way, and I want to make sure it's done with a student athlete's best interest in mind. I think the NCAA you know, interest is in the best mind. I think that a lot of these college programs are done it with the, you know, the best in mind. I, I'm, I'm cautious, though, Ryan, in terms of what I think coaches might try to take advantage of in the long run in terms of the scheme. I think it could be a good thing, um, but you know what? It's... it's uh, Coaches these days are so good at taking advantage of situations. Um, I, I'm just, I'm a little bit more hesitant than most. All right. Okay. Okay. I mean, that, that's why we asked former players their opinions because I'm, I'm curious to hear yours. All right. So let me, help me understand this. Okay. You've been in the trenches. Brandon Kennedy was the backup center. And we don't know if this Ross Pierce Baker experiment's going to work. I mean, if you go back a couple of years, they trot him at center, and I think 10 days prior, they flipped Bradley Bozeman. He anchored that position for two years, performed at a high level. Now they're going to slide Ross back over to the center. Brandon Kinney was the backup. Why would you leave Alabama uh, the chance to win back-to-back national titles, even the chance for a playing opportunity? I mean, who's to say that Ross is not going to work out at center to go to Tennessee and win two games in the SEC? Help me understand that. Uh, do, you, do you see a reason why Brandon Kennedy left? I absolutely do. And, and, and you know, there's there's a, a bunch of different reasons for it, Ryan. I think down at the basis of it is you get a fresh start. And it's not like Jerry Pruitt is going to be a complete fresh start, but let's talk about Will Frame, the offensive line coach of the Tennessee. Let's talk about Tyson Helton, the offensive coordinator. Let's talk about Tennessee fans. It's getting things from a different perspective. Sometimes when you've been under a one coach and a Brent Key for a few years, a different perspective can change a lot of things. And, and, and listen, I you know I'm not I can't give you a college reference because of uh, you know the fact that I didn't transfer. But I had friends and players in the NFL that listen. You're labeled as one thing with the Falcons. Oh, you do this well. You don't do this well. And then you show up to a different place. You go to the Saints, the Bucks, the Panthers. All of a sudden, you're a you know four year veteran. It's not about what you do well, and what you don't well. It's it's the fact that you you've seen winning and you've been in a program and you get a fresh start. And so. I don't know if I agree with Brandon Kennedy's decision, but I can see some of the reasons on the wall, and I can respect the fact that this is a kid who did all he wanted to do in the classroom and just needed a fresh start in terms of his football career. So from that perspective, uh, I'll give him credit and say, hey, listen, everybody deserves a fresh start. You only get one crack at this college football thing, and if he thought that uh, Tennessee was going to be the better place in the long run and he was going to get more opportunities, then – you know, then that's what it is. I, I think really what it boils down to for me, and the reason I say this fresh start thing is 
for you to have a guy that's been starting three years at center uh, at left guard and Ross Pierce Baker, if you think you're the next man up and all of a sudden they go out of their way to rearrange things in front of you, I think the writing's on the wall for Brandon Kennedy in that case. So, but but that means that they really trust Ross at that center position, right? I mean, I mean, if they're going to move him there and Brandon Kennedy picked up some vibes that they're not going to go with him, then that makes me feel like that they're pretty comfortable with Ross at center. I think they are. And, and honestly, I don't know this. This is this is sheer speculation for me. But I think you look at what you have in some of the tackle positions, you really have four guys who can play offensive tackle right now on the football team, right? So yeah. then all of a sudden you start saying, hey, listen, who are our best five? Uh, Brandon Kennedy might be the second-best center, uh, you know, last year or coming into this offseason. But, you know, how far down is he when you talk about the best five? I think you'd have to include Alex Weatherwood ahead of him. You'd have to include Jedrick Wills ahead of him. You have to, you know, probably include Lester Cotton ahead of him. So while he might have been the second best center, I don't know if he was that close to being in the best five uh, offensive line position. So Nick Saban, you know, listen, they got some work to do. I think that if you're Brent Key, that you start kind of juggling some of those things. You know, people have asked the question: Does Jonah Williams move to center at some point? I, I think that'd be ridiculous, but you know that question's being asked. So, can anybody snap? And how far out of the front five are you? You know, the front five really is what Nick Saban always points to. Who's the best five on the field? It's not so much who's the best center, but what can, accommodation can we get to get the best five on the field? And I think Brandon Kennedy just felt like he was the odd man out in that conversation. Mike, I know you played guard and tackle. Did you ever play center? I didn't play center in college. I snapped the ball a little bit in practice. When I got to the NFL, I was a little bit of a you know a Swiss Army knife in terms of that. I played some center in some games, you know, on some preseason games. I did it in practice. I was never the best snapper. You know, we were always say, hey, "Listen, if I'm going to be a center, you guys are going to be under center. I'm going to be handing you the ball." I never got into the shotgun stuff, but you know, my role in the NFL, the Falcons, was uh, swing tackle, swing guard, play a little center, play a little tight end, and uh, you do whatever you're asked to. But in college. Uh, I started at all four positions in my college career outside of center. I just never made that journey inside. All right, Mike, let's play a little over and under here. Let's just do a little uh, sports betting since it's going to be legal across the country uh, with the Supreme Court's ruling about a month ago. Alabama 11 wins over or under in 2018 in the regular season. In other words, are they going to win 12? Are they going to go undefeated in the regular season? 11 wins over or under. Where would you go? How smart are they to set that line right there at 11? It's just, it's hard for me to say under. When's the last time Bama lost two regular season games? It's been a while. I'd have to go the over or I'd have to stay away from it. I, this team is just too good. They're too capable. They're, they're built the right way. They're built from the inside out. The coaching is there. It's hard for me to look at this team and think 10 wins. It just really is. You're talking about the mother of all disappointments. I, I would have to go over there for sure, Ryan. LSU, seven wins over under. That was a tough one for me. I've got them sitting right there at seven, trying to beat the door down on eight. Now, if you would have asked me before Joe Burrows came, I might have taken the under on that one, and that is a crazy slap in the face to LSU. Joe Burrows coming in from Ohio State, in my opinion, gives them a capable quarterback. I'm taking the over of seven right there. They can get to seven or eight, and I think that LSU has enough talent to do that. All right, let's go back in our state here. Auburn, nine wins over under in 2018. I'm actually taking the under on this one. I just, uh, to me, Auburn has all the upside in the world. The talent's there. They're going to have a, you know, still a decent wide receiver core with the injuries. But you're talking about replacing Terrion Johnson and Cam Petway and an offensive line that led to all your big victories last year. As good as Jared Siddham can be, he wasn't the reason they beat Georgia or Alabama. Uh, you know, 
I, it's just hard for me to look at Auburn and think replacing all that and replacing their offensive line coach, by the way, is going to uh, you know lead to good things. I think they're going to have a great defense, but the Gus bus, Ryan, you know me, the Gus bus is too up and down. There's too many inconsistencies. I think they're going to be disappointing in some of their games this year, both Georgia and Alabama on the road, and I've got them losing against Washington in the open game. I think Washington's going to be an incredible football team this year. So I've got them missing at least those three. I think they probably drop another game on the road at some point. I've got Auburn at eight wins. How much of that is just going back to the trenches and you're not very comfortable with that offensive line? I'm not comfortable at all with their offensive line down there. We've heard about Calvin Ashley down there. They're really hanging their hat on Prince Tegel and Nobo. I, I I have a hard time. There, there's there's talk down at Auburn right now, Ryan, that the UMass grad transfer is going to be their starting right tackle. I just I have a hard time looking at it that way. If you're chasing after a UMass grad transfer that big, and you think he's going to be a starting piece of your you know your offensive line, Herb Hand headed over to Texas. JB Grimes comes back into the offensive line coach. There's too many uphill battles, and there really is. They had a good offensive line last year. Uh, if you were just losing the offensive line or just losing on Johnson, I'd say you have a chance. But losing both of those, trying to have this patchwork offensive line with a you know a six deep roster of running backs, so you're not sure who's going to be the guy. That's too many questions for me right now. Jared Siddham's going to have a load on his shoulders, and we saw last year against Clemson and some of the other games on the road where if, if people were able to get to Jared Siddham and stop the running game. They're going to have a tough time down there at Auburn. I just think that plays out too many times this year. Mississippi State, they've got the hook in here, 8.5 wins over under. I, I, it sucks for Mississippi State and it stinks for the fans, but I've got them under. I, I, I understand that all the talent's returning, but Nick Fitzgerald is, is, is a one-man show over there in a lot of different ways. Now, do they have good running backs? Absolutely. Should they have an above-average offensive line? Yes. Is their defensive line going to be incredible at Mississippi State? Yes. But show me that wide receiver core that wasn't even very good last year. Now, all of a sudden, you're telling me a guy like Stephen Gidry, who's a JUCO signing at wide receiver, is supposed to be their number one? A lot of questions for me. I don't know what Joe Moorhead is as a head coach. For me to look at Mississippi State and say nine wins in Joe Moorhead's first season as a head coach, that's tough for me. Add in the fact that Nick Fitzgerald's coming back off the ankle injury, I'm taking the under on that one, and I, I think that's going to be a disappointing year for a lot of those Mississippi State Bulldog fans. $75 million. They got rid of Kevin Sumlin. They put $450 million in their stadium. They've got it at seven wins, according to the experts of the desert. Jimbo Fisher's first year, I promise you, if that's the number, they're not going to be happy in College Station. Will this number go over or under seven wins in College Station for the Aggies? I've actually got them going over. I, I think that this is a different, uh, you know, era in terms of sex and football. I love what I saw out of Jimbo Fisher in the spring. I loved what I saw out of Nick Starkle in that offense. Uh, Jay Sternberger, the Juco tied in that really had a show there in the spring game. Jamon Osmond, the wide receiver. Cameron Buckley, the wide receiver. I just think that I know they're replacing Christian Kirk. And I know Coda Martin was their left tackle. And he left to head up to Syracuse as a grad transfer. But Jimbo Fisher, this is this is a new era. Jimbo Fisher knows what he's doing offensively, and as a head coach, they 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 lured Mike Elko down from Notre Dame. One point eight million he's going to make this year as a defensive coordinator. I think this is a different era for Texas A&M. I think they're going to be different in the trenches. Uh, Kingsley Kike and uh, Dalen Mack will be their starting defensive tackles. They've got some upside, man. I, I'm going to go over that seven mark for them. I'm going to say they get to eight or nine over there, Texas A&M.
All right, Mike. We'll we'll stop there. We could play this all day, but uh, we'll stop there. We greatly appreciate you talking college football in T-Town. Mike Johnson, find him. Roll Tide Daily, something they do on the Twitter account, Facebook account. They talk a lot of Alabama, Crimson Tide football, also SEC Country Live with Brandon Adams. They're on the main Facebook account. Mike, as always, I appreciate your time, and I hope you have a great afternoon. It's always a pleasure, Ryan. You have a good day, buddy. Hey, it was great to be able to talk with Mike Johnson, SEC Country College Football Analyst. We'll talk more Alabama Crimson Tide football the next time we visit on the daily edition of the Alabama Crimson Tide podcast on seccountry.com. Thank you.